want to get a little energy going in here. So let's, let's do something. Move your hands. Move your head. Do something. Let's get a little blood flow in here. Come on, put a smile on your face. Turn to the person next to you. Say, you look mighty good today. Come on. You don't look as good as me, but you look mighty good. Come on. You look close as good as I used. Come on, now you're talking. All right. Yeah. Hallelujah. Boy, 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 boy. The truth, huh? The truth will set you free is what Scripture says. The truth is, you know, you, yeah, I'm going to hush up while I'm still in, in, in good shape. Everybody's doing all right, right? A-OK? Sunday, summer's upon us, vacations. Uh, what's, what goes on? Soccer? Baseball? Basketball? Uh, uh, football? No, that's, that's, start, that's starting in August. I told June we're going to have a Saints game coming up here pretty soon. Hallelujah. So any other Saints fans in here other than me and Brother Paul? Any Saints fans? Come on. I, I can't wait to see Drew Brees pass that football. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. So anyway, we're finishing up, we're finishing up uh, the, the three-part uh, series, What About Grace? And, and the title uh, Brother Cody was sharing with you is Grace to the Tenth Power. In, in the first two messages on grace, we saw that, that God's grace, uh, it, first of all, the first point was that it's very expensive to give. And uh, although it's very expensive to give and it's an expensive thing, that you have to receive it freely for it to be grace. Because if we work for it, if we earn it, if, it, if it's by good works or effort or self-sufficiency, then you're diminishing from the work of Jesus Christ. You're taking away from that grace that we received on the cross uh, that Jesus is propitiation, that's, that, that's a fancy word for atoning sacrifice that he paid on the cross. So we looked at that. We also studied that real grace, must, for it to be real, must be extended forward like the movie. It must, it's got to be paid forward for, so that it can add up to more grace and be grace upon grace upon grace. And we've all heard that expression, okay? Um, we also saw on that second message that real grace has no boundaries, no limits, no situational limits, no relational exclusions or no prejudices. Real grace is extended to all, no matter who they are, no matter what age they are, no matter what color they are, no matter what position they are. Real grace is extended to all. Most of us tend to think of grace only as being extended to people who are poor or people who live in a certain area. And we tend to hold back grace for people of wealth or people who are in, 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 a, in a place of authority because, you know, we, we don't want to give them quite as much grace. They should have known better. No, real grace is extended to all with no exclusions whatsoever. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18 tells us that we have all been committed to the message of reconciliation. And because of that, we are, it says in that scripture, we are God's, Christ's ambassadors in the ministry of reconciliation, which involves the grace of God, okay? We also saw in that message that real grace involves humility. It produces an acute awareness in your heart and in your mind that there's been a whole lot of grace extended to you. I mean, it's like Brother Eddie was talking about, you know, other than by the grace of God, there I am, okay? Because his grace that was extended to me and to you, to each one of us, is the same grace that everyone has available to them. So real grace not only has no exclusions or no prejudices or, or no limitations, but it produces a humility in you because you say, other than the grace of God, my goodness, that would be me. 
When you see that homeless guy on the street corner saying, we'll work for food or we'll do this, and, and I know you have to use wisdom, but other than the grace of God, that's me, okay? And so it produces a humility in you when it's, when it's the real deal, uh, so to speak, okay? Then in conclusion, uh, week before last, I, I gave you all a strong caution, a real caution, something that I wanted you all to be aware of and to keep in the back of your mind that grace is not a license to sin. Grace doesn't mean God's grace, his, his amazing grace, like in the song that we sing, okay? His amazing grace is not a license to sin. And when we try to manipulate God and use his grace as a cover or as, a, as an excuse for us to, to, to live in sin, to, to, to continue and propagate sin in our lives, it becomes not grace, it becomes ungrace, okay? It's taking advantage of his love that's poured out upon us. And that, my friends, dear ones, listen to me, that is willful sin because you're using God's goodness and his grace to say, well, I can go ahead and do that because his grace is sufficient, uh, Pastor Marshall said, and his grace is amazing and powerful, and it covers all things. Yes, it does, but it's not a license to sin, to go out and sin. And I shared a story with you all about that where someone approached me one time wanting to, to use that as God's grace to say, well, God's grace was, and he wanted to leave his wife, uh, for, for a younger girl, which he ended up doing. And I said, man, don't, don't, it got kind of hostile between us. I said, don't you use God's love and his grace uh, as, as an excuse for you to go and sin because then you're in willful sin and that's a very, very dangerous to, place to be, okay? Now, the conclusion today is, is titled uh, God's Grace to the 10th Power, okay? And I want to talk about the actual literal power of God's grace in our lives and how it can become exponential. Y'all ever heard that word, math students in here? Now, what that means is, is you have to the first power, the second power, third power. You can take any number, whether it's, you know, just pick a number, and then you multiply it by itself one time, that's to the first power. Twice, that's the second power, right? Three times, is that correct? Am I, am I doing this right? Third power, right? I mean, it's Add one to it, okay? Add another one to it. He's saying, I'm doing it almost right. But by the time you get like to the 10th power, if it's a number like two or three, you've got a big giant number on the 10th power. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So God's grace as it, is, as it is it is poured out in our lives and as we pour it out becomes exponential. It can be gigantic. So grace to the 10th power. Let's read in Romans chapter 5, okay? Verse 1. Therefore... Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, gained access by faith, and we're going to see that in a second in Ephesians, access by faith into this grace, okay? By faith, okay? You have to believe in Jesus and the cross. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough. We, by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope, the sure certainty of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character. And remember, character is what you do when no one's watching. And character produces hope, this sure certainty. And this hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he 
has given us. You see, at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. This is all about the grace of God. When we were powerless, when we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man may possibly dare to die for a good man. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now drop down to verse 15. All right, talking about the gift of God and about sin through Adam and, and life through Jesus Christ. But the gift is not like the trespass, okay? But if the many died by the trespass of one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. Judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift, gift, the gift, the gift of grace, the gift of salvation on the cross brought many trespasses, followed many trespasses and brought justifications, justification. So the gift is far more powerful. Now turn with me to Ephesians 2.8, and we've been going over this one, and I want you all to... Please memorize this scripture uh, and and learn it. For it is by grace. Let's start in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by what? Grace you have been saved through what? Faith, we just read it in Romans, and this not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, least no man can boast, okay? Now, what is all that about? That's saying, that's saying, and then I'm going to get to the first point. That is saying that if you think for one second that what Jesus did on the cross, you can pay for that, and, and the forgiveness of your sins, if you can pay for that, if you can be good enough, if you can earn that by doing enough works or by, being, by, 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 by even coming to church enough or doing whatever, then, then you are sadly mistaken because there is no way that you can earn what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And by principle, by, by not principle, by design, it has to be received freely to receive the full power of it. Are you following me? Because if you do part of it, then you don't need that part of the cross. You are diminishing the cross. You are taking away from the cross every part that you think you're good enough, swell enough, smart enough, have achieved enough, religious enough, know enough scripture. Know, now, don't get me wrong. It's not a license to sin. It is a wonderful thing to know scripture. That is your sword. It is a wonderful thing to come to church. Do not forsake the fellowship, it says in Hebrews, because we need each other and support each other, and we come here to worship corporately in God. But if you think that all of those things can 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 make you better before God, then you're you're sadly mistaken. All you're doing, if you do that, is taking away from the cross. Now, here's your first point. Some truths about the power. These are like power truths, okay? First of all, grace is where God's power is revealed. 
Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. This is where Paul is saying that he had a thorn in his side, and three times he pleaded with God, please take this away. And he's saying, and I'm weak, and, I, and, and, and I'm at a place. And listen to what it says. God says that his grace is sufficient for you, for his power is made perfect in weakness. Now, what, what does that really mean? Let, let me read it to you in, in the, I love what the, the Amplified says about it. L- listen to this. And to keep me from being puffed up, Paul says, and too much elated by the exceeding greatness, the preeminence of those revelations that God had given me, there was given me a thorn, a splinter in the flesh. I, I wonder what that splinter is. A messenger of Satan to rack and buffet and harass me, to keep me from being excessively exalted. This is the Apostle Paul saying this, okay? Three times I called upon the Lord and besought him about this and begged that it might depart from me. But he said to me, my grace, my favor, and my loving kindness and mercy is enough for you. It's sufficient against any danger and enables you to bear the trouble manfully. For my strength and power are made perfect. They're fulfilled and completed and show themselves more effective in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory, Paul says. He said, I'll glory in my weaknesses and infirmities that the strength and power of Christ, the Messiah, may rest. Yes, now this word here, if you do a word study, this is what that means, to rest upon you. You know, may the peace of God rest upon you. May may the glory of God rest upon you. May the anointing of God rest upon you. Listen to what that word means. It says, yes, it may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. May it tabernacle. It'll dwell upon me, like camping upon you. Listen to verse 10. So for the sake of Christ, I am well pleased, Paul said, and take pleasure in infirmities and insults and hardships and persecution, perplexities and distresses. Now, this is, this is I love this in this translation. For when I am weak, Paul said, in human strength, now, here, listen, this is it, guys, please listen. When I am weak in human strength, then I am truly strong, able, powerful in divine strength. You getting that? When I am weak in human strength, Paul says, then I am strong, powerful in divine strength. In divine strength. Grace is where God's power is revealed. Do you get the picture from that Amplified Bible right there? Now, not only is it just sufficient, we went over this last week, last Sunday I read some of this, and I loved it, Charles Spurgeon said this, that, that, and it's so good I'm going to read it again, I can't resist, that not only is it sufficient, that word there just doesn't mean just sufficient. How many of you know what an efficiency apartment is? You ever lived in an efficiency apartment? I'm, I'm talking, it's one room with a bed 
and, and you know, you, you fold out beds. Sometimes they're those Murphy bed things, and, and you've got a bed in the living room, and then over here you've got so this one little room that one, this corner looks like a bedroom, this corner looks like a kitchen. Over in this corner you've got a little box, and that's your bathroom, and you've got right here, it's just one, that's called an efficiency apartment. Okay, how many of you stayed in microtels, the the little bitty hotels? If you ever stayed, they're little bitty small rooms. They're kind of like little cubicles. Okay, sufficient. So you have a place, but it's only sufficient. All right, but God's grace is more than sufficient. God's grace covers all of those things, and you cannot just limit it. It's not like okay, I've got this small part of it. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said, and I read it last week. There are many passages of Scripture which you will never understand until some trying experience shall interpret them to you. The other evening I was riding home after a heavy day's work. I was wearied and depressed. Charles Spurgeon was wearied and depressed? <laughs> you know who Charles Spurgeon is, huh? The very, very, very famous preacher in the early 1900s and all. And he said, I was worried and depressed. And swiftly and suddenly as a lightning flash, this text came hold of me. My grace is sufficient for you. When I got home, I looked up the original text. And finally, it dawned upon me that what the text was saying is, my grace is sufficient for thee. And why, I said to myself, I should think of it. And I burst out laughing. It seemed to make unbelief, it seemed to make unbelief so absurd it was as though, now listen, here it is. It was as though some little fish, remember Miss Linnell had a word about the river, all us jumping in the river last Sunday. It's as though some little fish who was being very thirsty was troubled because he thought he might be drinking the river dry. Have you ever been to Henderson? Imagine one brim, one little brim, thinking he can drink Henderson dry. And Father River said, drink away, little fish. My stream is sufficient for you. Or as if a little mouse was in all of the granaries of Egypt and after seven years of plenty, feared that he would die of famine. And Joseph said, cheer up, little mouse. My granaries are sufficient for you. Again, I imagined a man way up on the mountain saying to himself, I fear that I might exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere. And the earth said, breathe away, little man. Fill your lungs. My atmosphere is sufficient for you. Okay, and everybody in here. Come on, everybody in here. Take all the grace, little one. For my grace is sufficient for you. You can't outgrace God. You don't know what I've done, Brother Marshall. You don't know the sins that I've committed. You don't know the atrocities that have gone through my mind. All the revenge. You don't know the anger that's welled up in me. You don't know the immoral things that I've done in my youth. You don't know what I just did last week, Brother Marshall. And the God of all the universe, not me, the God of all the universe says, Oh, little one, drink up my grace, for it is sufficient for you. And my power is revealed 
in that grace. And if you don't receive it, and if you try to continue in guilt and shame, you have diminished the work of my son on the cross. God's grace is revealed in our weakness. And the weaker we become, the weaker we choose to make ourselves, the more visible and dominant He becomes in our life. And then He lifts us up. In 1 Peter 5, 5 through 10, I love the way that, he, that Peter puts it there. He says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself with humility because one another, toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert, and not to alert your enemy, the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Now listen to what verse 10 says. And the God of all grace, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, I have a question for you. Why do we strive to be so strong in ourself. Why do we strive to be so strong in ourselves when we know that we have failed 4,000 times and only through the grace of God, only through the power of God, will we in any way have a chance of succeeding? Why is that? Why do we continue? Why do we turn from the only true help that we have? And that help is Jesus Christ himself and the cross. Why is it that when we, when we get in a pinch, when we get in a pickle, if you would, that, that all of a sudden we turn to our own power and turn away from the power of the Lord. Well, I think I have the answer. Uh, my little deal keeps going out. You're pretty savvy. See if you can get that back on there again. Oh, it's back on. It came on. Uh, yeah, because it... Uh, yeah, it's, it's doing turn. I'll tell you why I think that is. I think that happens because we want to take part in it. We want to say that we had something to do with it. And when we do that, we take away from the cross and we enter into something that's called, listen closely, it's called pride, right? See, pride is the basis of self-sufficiency. We want to be self-sufficient and so we become prideful. Now, Scripture says, listen carefully, that God does what to the proud? Y'all know, let me, all you scholars, he does what? He resists. NIV says, opposes the proud. Now, in your strongest day, in your strongest time in your life, okay, let, let's just say you were a fighter. Let's say you were a debater, someone who would go to debating things. You know, you go to a, a, whatever they call those, a debating contest uh, rally. And you're debating someone else, all right? Let's say that you are a runner, anything, you name it, okay? And you step into that ring. 
Would you like to step into the ring knowing that God is fighting you? I mean, no, you don't want that. How would you like to go into a rally to debate and know that you're debating God? Would, would, would that be pretty, you'd feel pretty confident, wouldn't you? Right? Okay. How many of you would like to do the same thing where you're going to a debating contest, you're stepping in the ring to fight somebody, you're going for a contest, a musical contest, you're going into a fishing contest, into a tennis tournament, whatever it is, and know that God is in your corner. Come on. He's with you. And he's saying, look, do this, do this, take care of this, I'm going to see this. And he's guiding you and all. You see, that's the opposite of pride. That's humility because you're saying, God, I need you and I need your grace. Okay, so God's, God, in, in, in God's grace in our weakness is magnified in our lives. Secondly, grace is God's paradigm of truth. I want you all to catch this one. 2 Corinthians again, verse 15, uh, 13, 18, and 15. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not. So we fix our what? Eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, do y'all know what a paradigm is? That's not two dimes. Y'all know what a paradigm is? A paradigm is a way of thinking. It's a belief system. A belief system and a, a, a mental system that you view everything through. If it's a worldly paradigm, then everything you look at is through that worldly intellectual paradigm okay you go most of the time today you go on a college campus and you have a particular paradigm that's there you have in most college campuses today not all of them but most of them you have you have a paradigm of of intellectualism right because they're thinkers and they're thinking and they're saying that's great but that's what you're going to find there you go out into the into the railroad the oil field you have a general kind of consensus you have a common paradigm things are viewed through that paradigm through that value system through that way of thinking okay well grace is God's paradigm it's the way that God filters everything it's the way that he sees things in your life and how he sees and he screens it he filters it through okay so what Paul is saying here is that in in your biggest time of trouble in your biggest time of affliction biggest time of despair the reality the real truth comes through God's grace, not through those signals that you're getting, the signals that sound like this, you'll never make it, this is going to beat you, you're going you're gonna to fail, you're too old, you're too short, you're too tall, you're this, you're that. No, the truth is that God's grace is sufficient in your life, and that's where the truth lies in your life. Now, let me give you all a little something here. It's not only bad things, because I've been talking about, you know, you have, you know you're down and you, you're no good and, and, and you've sinned and everything else. How many of you know that the good as well as the bad can draw you into a bad place? Okay? That success can be just as dangerous as failure. Is this correct? So that you can think you're doing pretty good. And you think that everything's going just, oh, everything's lovely. But in reality... 
you're letting that truth guide you also. Not the grace of God, not the reality of the cross. Is this true? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, that good thing has you just like the bad thing would have you. Have you been there? All of a sudden, you're being consumed by good instead of bad. So the good's just as bad as the bad. So the reality is that you need the paradigm of God's grace there just as much as you do in those bad things. But it is the paradigm of God's truth. And then lastly, grace is where we find strength to persevere. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 and Romans 5 again. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned, Paul says. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We are justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace that we just read about. Now, what is he talking about right here? He's saying that we should rejoice because of God's grace, not because of our suffering. God doesn't want us saying, hey, I broke my legs and my arms. I know my little sister, I don't mean... She just broke her ankle. I'm sorry. We don't want to be rejoicing and saying, hey, everybody, I'm having a party. I just fell off a ladder. Come on. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not, don't rejoice because of your suffering. He's saying rejoice in your suffering. You you understand what I'm saying? Nowhere in Scripture does does God tell us that the water's not going to rise and it's not going to get hot. We live in Louisiana. The water's going to, how about last week? Did the water rise? <laughs> and did it start getting hot? The water's going to rise. It's going to get, it's going to get hot. You're going to, you're going to get sick every now and then. You're going to have stuff. You're going to have, you know, don't attribute, don't over-spiritualize everything. If you don't take care of your car, it will eventually break. Trust me. If, if you don't put fuel in it, you're going to stop on the side of the road, okay? That's not the devil making your car stop. That's called lack of gas pump, Okay? Lack of fuel in your car. So what you got to do is you got to realize that God's grace is sufficient. But Paul is saying here, in your suffering, okay? He's not enjoying these cruel and harsh punishments. He's saying in the midst of them, God's grace will get him through, okay? And again, any bad situation or really any super good situation can try to make you or it can break you. Both of them, okay? Either one of them. Now. I'm going to ask you all something here. Has anyone in here ever felt like giving up, just quitting? I'm talking everything. You want to get real honest? You want to get real, real honest in here? Has anybody ever felt like quitting on God? Where you say, I don't know about all this. Was just three or four of us honest ones in here? Yeah. Just giving up just giving up I remember sometimes on the road (laughs) a few times I remember I was so discouraged on the railroad I said I feel like putting this thing they have notches on the throttle and they can't come out of that notch and I remember saying I feel like put not where it go real real fast and you know 100 miles an hour well they don't go that fast but you know down the track at 50 or 60 miles an hour but I used to say I feel like putting this thing in number three the notch three which is not too too fast putting it at number three and just stepping off I was so discouraged. Just let her rip. Go down the track, Billy. You know what I'm talking about? 
That's, that's how discouraged I was. Okay, you see, I didn't have a revelation of God's grace in my life. I didn't have a revelation of the love of God that is powerful, more powerful than anything that can happen no matter where you are. Now, the power of the 10th degree. Here's the 10th degree of the power of God's grace. Listen to me carefully. It changes the hardest heart that receives it. Who knows a scoundrel? <laughs> Bunch of lying dogs. Who, Lewis says, I know two of them. Who knows a scoundrel? I'm not talking your husband or wife or something, but it, it, it could be. You don't have to name them. Just who, who knows someone who's a dirty dog, no good rat? Come on, raise your hand. June, you don't know what one rat, one scoundrel? None? Lisa, you, look, the ones that might raise their hand, they're laughing because they, they don't have enough hands to go up. Okay. God's grace extended to that scoundrel, to that dog. God's grace to that person will change their heart. Do you realize that? It will change their heart. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at someone and you say, My God, did you see him? He was crying. He was crying. This guy swore. This guy would bite nails and didn't even break his teeth. He was crying. That's because he had received God's grace into his heart. The hardest heart will be changed by the grace of God. And if you extend that grace to that person, then God is using you as part of his plan. Okay, let me ask again. Who knows a scoundrel? All right, now let's turn the tables. God's grace to the 10th power, exponential. You see, to me, and, to, and, and it's not just me, this is the heart of God. All of this stuff is all great, but unless you've got a changed heart, unless you've got someone who's different, unless you have people who are free, unless you have healings, unless you have all this stuff, then it's all theology and it's wonderful, it's knowledge, it's great, but he wants it real and he wants it working. So number two, God's grace will change the hardest heart that's extending it. Same idea, different question. Same idea, different question. Have you ever been the scoundrel who hated and refused to forgive and to release somebody? Well, there's four, five, six, eight, ten of us honest ones in here. Come on. I'm going to come back at you so you get another chance to raise your hand. Have you ever been the scoundrel who didn't want to turn them loose? Because that makes you just as much a scoundrel as them. Now, let me see if I can change your mind and everybody raise their hand. Have you ever had an encounter with God and God broke you and you started crying and you said, Oh my God. Look, now almost every hand's going up. 
oh my God, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. I've got to go. I've got to go to him and ask him to forgive me. I've got to go to him and say, would you please forgive me? Because look at what I've done. Okay, now let's try it again. Have you ever been the scoundrel who didn't want to turn anybody loose? You've been the scoundrel who didn't want to forgive and all. I know I have. I remember telling June one time, I want to be mad at him. I was so mad at him, I, I wanted to be mad at him. Have you ever been there? She said, Marsha, you, you can't. You got it for sure. She was trying to talk to me. I said, no, I don't want to hear a word you have to say. I want to be mad at him. Just give me a few more minutes. Let me be mad for a while. That's true. That's a true story. Have you been there? God's grace to the 10th power changes your heart. And then lastly, and this is important, that whole world out there is watching you. That whole world out there is watching you. Come on. Don't look at me like a cow at a new gate. That whole world out there, they're not just watching the pastors. That whole world out there is watching you. And His grace that you extend to others and that you give to others will change their heart and they'll say my God what does she have or what does he have what is that in them I saw June I saw them and they were now this is the world speaking June I saw them and they were hand in hand after he did that to her you see it changes their heart because they're seeing the heart of God in you and that's God's grace to the tenth power They're changed, you're changed, and the world is changed by the grace of God. What amazing grace. Let's stand and sing some of this song.